Welcome along, everybody. This is uh, a chat with um, a couple of people from the Town and Country Planning Association, plus Emily O'Brien, who's a Green Councillor in Lewis. I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in a minute. And we're chatting about a proposed Healthy Homes Bill that is coming from the TCPA uh, and why that's important and what we perhaps as Green Council can do to support the campaign. So let's just go around the room and introduce ourselves. Jack, do you want to say hi? Sure. Thank you, Julian. Yeah, I am. Um, my name is Jack Dangerfield um, and I'm project assistant at the TCPA, the Town and Country Planning Association. Um, I'm Daniel Slade. I'm a policy and project manager. I lead our work on the Healthy Homes Act campaign and a few other areas, but it's mainly the Healthy Homes Act campaign, which I'm focusing on at the moment. Thanks, Julian. I'm Emily O'Brien. I'm a Green Party councillor for Lewis District Council and a general um, campaigner and troublemaker on all things to do with planning and trying to use it to do the right things, where so often it's trying, the systems seem to make us try and do the wrong things. Indeed. Fantastic. Thanks. OK, so uh, so I'm, I'm going to read this question, so it'll feel a bit stilted, but I'll read it anyway. So the Healthy Homes Bill prepared by the TCPA is looking to provide a framework to ensure all new homes meet acceptable standards. Um, your approach is to introduce legislation that overrides the various levels of planning regulation, which mean outcomes differ depending on local authority, on whether something is regarded as permitted development and on levels of enforcement. So we're going to hopefully touch on all of those. Uh, but your website states that too many new homes and neighbourhoods in England are seriously undermining residents' well-being and life chances. So perhaps it'd be good to start off with just some of that background. You know, how bad is it out there? Who, who wants to go first? Um, I'll come in first, if that's all right. So what permissive, permissive development rights do is they allow for certain types of buildings, um, so commercial buildings, to be converted into residential homes without requiring any planning permission. Um, and so what that means is the local plan policy um, and the various checks that local authorities have to ensure that housing is, is of a good standard um, they don't actually have for homes that are that can be converted through permitted development rights or yeah. PDRs uh, for short. So um, we there's been a lot of research that's been done into the the impacts of PDRs on the quality of homes. Um, so, for example, the BRE um, recently launched, released a briefing paper which which found that poor quality homes um, have cost the NHS um, £1.4 billion every year. So there's a cost to the NHS in terms of it having an impact on people's health. Yeah. Um, there, there was some research done on, um, which was commissioned by the UK government last year, which looked at the, looked at PDR homes converted through PDR, and it found that I think only just over 22, sorry, just over 20% of these homes met nationally described space standards. Um, just over 70% had only a single aspect window, mm. and only 3.5% had access to private amenity space. So. 
Um, and this is very similar to other research that's been done on the impact of PDRs on, on the quality of homes. Um, so pretty bad is, is the answer to your question in, in the sense that obviously there are examples of homes that come through PDRs that are obviously good quality, but there, when there aren't these checks in place mm. on the quality of homes, there are inevitably, you know, very sadly going to be some homes that are of very poor quality. And we have actually found there are examples of homes being built with no windows at all either, mm. which is, um, yeah. So, so, the com- so the conversion of, of commercial properties into homes, in principle, yeah. I would have thought is, is it's a good thing. And, you know, there's a lot of the, the commercial properties are, are going to be, um, especially as we work more from home, um, are going to be looking for different uses. We, we don't want to be knocking stuff down and rebuilding from, a, from a, a retrofit point of view and an embedded carbon point of view. And often I would imagine that, that these buildings may well be in you know, places which have reasonable transport links because they were because they work places potentially. So there is presumably an opportunity here, but it's being missed because because we because planners don't have the control. Is that is that the way you would see it? Yeah, that I yes, I think that's quite a good summary of the of the problem. I think it's not necessarily just about planners having control, it's about doing things in a thought out structured strategic way uh if you if you say we've got these we've got these two massive problems we've got uh, a need to house loads more people yeah that's true we've got a need to convert lots of empty shops that's true as well both those things are completely true it's about how we go about doing that we can do about it in a way where you reduce regulation you make the change of use extremely easy and don't require um, any planning intervention or, or any form of planning to to do that in a in a way which considers good placemaking. Um, and yeah, you'll get, you'll, you'll probably provide more homes, uh, but what you'll also do is uh, ruin the chances of any remaining high streets, which part marked with homes. They don't um, offer, well, a convincing retail offer anymore to people who want to travel in to actually visit those high streets, to spend time there. Uh, and over time, you just erode the ability of local authorities to control or shape or, or balance their local places. If you think about it, it's uh, it's undermining the the any uh, place shaping ability that local authorities had, as limited as it already was. So that's one option, and the other option is to do it in a way which is progressive to condense retail offers, commercial um, lo- locations and developments into uh, sensible, uh, nice places to be, which are dense, which are efficient, uh, and don't just let the market rip to deliver these things. So we, we completely support the idea of converting lots of empty shops and commercial units into housing. It's about how you go about doing that. And I think a really important part is, is the democratic part as well. These local plans um, and generally the council's work on planning policy have been subject to often years of consultation, local input. When a planning application comes in, local people can have a say. And what delivering homes through permitted development rights do is remove all of that democratic input, which is not only important from a democratic point of view, but from the point of view of making good quality decisions, which take into account local data, local views, and scrutiny as well. Um, The last thing I'd add is, um, before 2013, things in the built environment have been built through permitted development rights for years, since the, the birth of the planning system. But that has been limited to very sensible, small changes like conversions, 
um, around warehousing and industrial estates, that kind of thing. It's just completely inappropriate for homes to be built through this route. Thanks for that. So, so before we move into your healthy homes bill, actually, I just wanted to dig into that place shaping thing a little bit first, because I think that's really, really interesting. So does, does your bill address that as well? Um, and, and what other thoughts do you have in terms of, you know, how, how, can, how can local authorities really influence that sort of place shaping um, in, in places, as you say, where, where there's, there's a move away from retail um, and there is a need for, for, mm-hmm. for other uses? Should, should local authorities be buying up these properties? I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on, on that sort of place shaping agenda before we look at the detail of your bill? First of all, uh, it's really important to recognise that the, the, the bill and uh, the amendments we're seeking to, to get to the building safety bill, which we can come on to later, uh, are not just about permitted development rights homes. They don't just apply through that route. They apply to all new homes being delivered through the planning system, through permitted development rights. And we still see significant numbers of homes which are completely um, inappropriate um, quality, poor quality coming through the planning system proper as well. So that's, that's important. And then to more directly address your question, uh, a lot of the principles which we've developed, and we can talk about these a bit more in a minute, but the principles we've developed uh, to define what we mean by a healthy home within the campaign apply not just to the fabric of buildings and individual buildings, but places as well. So they can concern things like walkability, they concern things like access to green space and also local transport links as well. So it's about a a, a dual approach of tackling the individual buildings and making sure they're fit for habitation, but also that places are as well. And if you reorientate a system towards principles based on that degree of placemaking, it empowers local authorities to make these kinds of plans and uh, changes. Thanks for that. Yeah, Emily, you wanted to come in. Thanks, Julian. I just thought it might be helpful just to give a practical example just while we're on permitted development is um, so where I live, we have um, a town. It's a really lovely town, a seaside town, and it has a high street that's a bit long. It's got two high streets, really. They're a bit spread out. And like many high streets, they're struggling a bit. And this is a national problem, isn't it? Most of us know a high street that's struggling. We've had the move to online and then we've had COVID on top of that. And everybody agrees a national priority is to save our high streets, to make them functional. So what would make sense as pl- from a planning point of view is to decide which bit needs to be the vibrant high street and then allow for the bits that are on the edge that aren't so successful, that are clearly um, extra, that make it a bit too spread out and not very functional, allow for them to be converted into the much needed housing, which we need for local people with good quality conversions. But unfortunately, the, the, the changes that were made in the summer mean that actually anybody can pretty much convert any one of those shops, even if it's right in the area that we need to be the most vibrant and most successful. Um, They can pretty much convert them into housing. So we'll end up with a kind of pepper potting of a high street with housing mixed in with it. And I know this will happen because the prices where we live in the south are very high. So those properties are worth a lot more for housing than they would be for commercial. Um, And there's a danger of that real then sprawl that what a high street that is struggling is then directly 
made to struggle more when actually as a local authority what we would like to do is to help that high street to be vibrant to be a destination to remain in commercial use and for me that's the real problem Um, although there is also a secondary problem that the conversions we're seeing can be very poor quality so they tend to be the cheapest housing they're done really badly there's one which is on a gyratory huge roundabout in an air quality management area where it's still got all the shop front door and the shop sign it's just had a some housing plonked in it basically so it still says it's a Mexican restaurant even though it isn't anymore and it looks terrible um, and it must be an awful place to live it really you know those kinds of poor conversions really impact not only on the feel of the area but on people's quality of life. Thanks for that okay so let's let's move into the the principles that you're you that you're enshrining in this bill and 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 after that we're actually going to talk about how far we as councillors and and how far councillors could be applying these whether or not this bill gets through but before we do that it's worth looking at the principles I think some of them will be familiar with the people likely to listen to 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 this so we, we all know we desperately need to be building to zero carbon standards and we all know that we desperately need to be building homes which are um uh that you can you can live in car free that have good access to, to public transport and active travel options um but you've listed some others so um i'll, I'll leave it to you to, to pick up which ones you want to talk about first but um either jack or dan do you want to come in on some of those other principles well should i start by talking about what we're trying to achieve the principles i think it's just a I think it's quite interesting because it's a it's, it's a it's a significant move away from how we currently think about the regulation of the built environment, uh, the principle-based approach. And then I'll, I'll leave Jack to to pick up a, a couple if he wants to talk about some in more detail. Um, and also our approach to quantifying or not um, these these different principles. But our basic approach to this and the way we our starting point for I think the whole of the TCPA's work when it comes to the built environment is about working out what the absolute basics required are for a good quality of life. You can think of them as biological minimums and then working back from that to decide how we should design a system which supports those, those ambitions. Uh, and that's not something which is, it, it, it is normal in the way that we think about the, the, the workings of the built environment. I was at a conference recently where there was a debate about uh, health and well-being, And the question was essentially is, uh, is it viable to build homes which support people's well-being? And it just shows how entirely broken the whole system is. We're having debates about the viability of something which is essentially required for a good life. What is the point in in engaging with the subject in that way? We should be starting with them as a minimum and then working back through the system to make sure it supports it, changing what viability means and what viable is to support that that approach. So the principles are about trying to force a move in that direction. The principles uh, define what we mean by a healthy home. And I mentioned they cover place and I mentioned uh, the individual buildings and their fabric as well um, but they really cover these these absolute basics and it's moving from a system which tries to mitigate the harms to people in relation to new developments to one where enshrined at the core of the system is this attempt to improve people's health and well-being through new developments so it's it's really at a very high level about shifting the way that we regulate the built environment and then within that we've got these individual principles which make up this tapestry of the different things which account for a healthy home um, so yeah, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Jack. So as you mentioned, Julian, we have eleven principles, um, and like like there's a, they're all very common sense things, you know, things you'd expect to be in every home. Really, you just assume one would assume. So for example, um, 
we've we've got uh, there's a principle on access to to green space or green infrastructure mm. or you know living in a a neighborhood where you can easily walk around where it's safe to walk and it's safe to to cycle um so all these things um obviously contribute to to living in a in a health healthy environment healthy neighborhood um also having access to natural light i mean one would just normally assume that that, that was a given surely every home has access to natural light well yes most do but um you know as i mentioned before we there are there have been examples with homes without any windows at all which which is really quite shocking in this day and age um so this is why we have these very common sense principles because it, it isn't a given unfortunately and um you know this is why we we set out these principles as as a way of you know re you know regulating the built environment okay so where are you with this campaign how how big a change is this do you think to to existing principles that are supposedly enshrined within uh planning policy and as you say there's a real problem with with permitted development but how far do you, how far away are we from these principles with all the rest of the development that we see yeah so those two questions really so so where are we with the campaign and, and how how radical a change is this to, to to what we have currently it's a very radical change uh, it fundamentally changes the way that we think about the regulation of the built environment and then do it. Uh, but it's quite a simple change. It's quite practical. I, I mean, we developed this legislation as a small uh, campaigning organisation. Um, we're a charity. We don't have a lot of resources, but putting our heads together on expertise and bringing in a bit of legal help, we managed to create a bill which does this. It, 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 there, there can never be the argument made again that it's impossible to achieve these kinds of standards because um, even if the, the, the legislation we've created isn't perfect and uh, it, like I said, it's the effort of a small team of people, it shows that it can actually be done. It is possible to do this. So where we're up to with trying to make this actually reality uh, is focusing our efforts on the building safety bill. The building safety bill is the government's flagship response to the Grenfell disaster um, and it does a lot of things which people will have seen in, in the news recently that focuses to a great extent on cladding and remediation and the nightmare a lot of leaseholders living in flats are facing in relation to those costs. It does other things people might have heard of around improving building regulations. And there's a bit about tall at risk buildings, which the government's defined as being, I think, um, above 18 metres. Uh, it does all those things. But. What's really interesting for us is that the face of the bill, so the title of the bill, which, which defines its scope, uh, is expansive. It could, it could be really ambitious. It could go further than that. And in the way that we've described so far, change the system fundamentally so we can't have another Grenfell. What the bill does at the moment is um, apply extra regulations to a particular area of building around taller buildings. It doesn't stop the next Grenfell from happening in relation to long, thin buildings or other kind of health risks in the built environment. But what we want to do is make the bill as ambitious and as positive as it could be. So that's taking elements from the um, Healthy Homes Bill, which we developed, and inserting them as amendments into the Building Safety Bill. So we've been working with... uh, MPs, we've been working with uh, people in the House of Lords as well to sort of build the case for this. We've inspired a few debates now as part of the scrutiny process for the Building Safety Bill. 
and we're just coming up to the end of the Commons stage. Soon it's going to flip over to the House of Lords. And uh, one of our strongest parliamentary supporters and probably our lead in Parliament on, on the Healthy Homes campaign is Lord Nigel Crisp. So he's a previous chief executive of the NHS and he'll be leading the charge for amendments to the Building Safety Bill, which support the Healthy Homes principles. And that that is the that is our core focus of our campaign at the moment. In terms of that actually happening and whether it's going to happen, it's always an uphill battle when there's a strong government majority to make these kinds of things happen. Yeah. I think what is most important at this stage is that we're having a really positive debate about the need for these things. Mm. Uh, and that filters down to the local level as well and making changes individually at the local level, which we, I think we can come on to uh, later. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we're up to with the campaign. We're hopeful that we can have those debates and that they'll be interested in this. If the wind is in, our, in the right direction and... Uh, we get a little bit lucky. We could really genuinely change the law forever on this. Um, but it's all about having those conversations, I think, most importantly. Thanks. So I'm going to come to Emily now, because I think that where, 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 you've, where you've left that really is, is in terms of how we campaign for that, first of all. And secondly, how far local authorities could be doing some of these things anyway. So and Emily's quite involved with, with the uh, LGA. So perhaps if we start off with the sort of campaign thing, where do you think that the... Do you think there's opportunities for the LGA to support this and for our councillors to support to support this in terms of the campaigning to Parliament before we think about how, how far we can just apply this stuff anyway? Um, absolutely, Julian. And I think that as um, local authorities, obviously we are planning authorities. Uh, many of our councillors sit in either district or unitary or city authorities where there is a planning responsibility. Um, and I think um, Dan and Jack have set out really clearly why actually what we need is a national change towards a new framework for planning. And I think that's been acknowledged. Um, and I'm really, you know, heartened that in the current pause there's been on the government's very controversial planning reform, there is a chance now to look at a real positive change for, to, in our planning system. And I think the type of um, principles which are set out, a kind of set of minimum standards, but also aspirations, have never felt more relevant. Uh, the planning system obviously originally existed because where we live is absolutely key to most of our lives. It's it's how we it's key to our health, not just in big disasters like Grenfell, but also our day to day health and our mental health. And to an extent, it defines our aspirations and who we feel we are. So it's it's really vital that we do take a different approach to planning where it's not a sort of technical system where it's assumed that development is right as long as it meets certain technical criteria and doesn't do this and doesn't do that and a set of a big framework that becomes ever more complicated and harder to navigate and easier to get around in a way because it's become so complicated people with a lot of money can get around it the planning system's always been there to balance the fact that where we live is key to who we are and how healthy we are and and our success but also that that actually the planning system is also a marketplace that land and the places we live and development is also a big market that a lot of people make a lot of money out of. And the planning system is what should be in the middle that ensures that it works both ways for people. So I would like to see those changes nationally. But in the meantime, as a planning authority, although it's not as much as many of us would wish to see, we do have control over a number of aspects of local planning policy. Yeah. Um, so I was really pleased that our council in Lewis District became the first 
council in the UK to adopt the healthy home principles on a local level through a council motion. It was a really popular motion. It had cross-party support um, from councillors of every colour. And it was about saying that these principles are right for our local residents and we would like to see them embodied. So in practical terms, that means that when the council does its own developments, it looks at the healthy home principles. I don't think that's a massive issue because obviously as a responsible council making housing for our residents, we want those we want those standards anyway. Our officers yeah. were happy to to respect those principles because actually, you know, they're the bare minimum for a good standard of life. So council housing should have those principles. But it does it does mean that um, that that is embodied within that. So I suppose should, you know, it's, it's now there in our council framework. Um, so that's one way. Um, the motion also supported the calls for a national healthy homes bill as well. And I do hope the government will listen to that. And I think the other thing it's done is that, like many other councils, we're making a new local plan at the moment. We're developing a new local plan, which is the kind of blueprint for how development happens. And it does it does lay down those principles as part of the development of our local planning policy going forward, which is always challenging because the national stuff kind of trumps the local stuff, if we're completely honest. But we but it does it does show that as a council with cross party support, we do want those principles to be part of how we look at planning in our local area going forward and for those people in places where there's perhaps already an adopted local plan um, do, you, do you think there's there's still a value in in taking these principles to a full council meeting and discussing them and trying to start to win win them over as part of the way that we do planning in in those sorts of areas I'm thinking it in terms of I mean so recently we saw uh, uh, Andrew Cooper from Kirklees has written a a sort of a policy up there where where they can't enforce it but they are at least you know asking developers mm. to respond around some of the, the climate issues but perhaps a similar sort of checklist a similar way of you know if we have nothing else at least we can embarrass the developers by by asking them to to sign up to this do you think that's an approach that can be used in those places absolutely i mean i don't think it's so much about embarrassing developers i think what it does do though is it sets a marker for what the aspirations of the council are and what our expectations are i mean i should say our local plan is actually relatively recently adopted it was only adopted in 2016 it's because we're under a five-year review process that we're having to redo policies in it and nearly everywhere is in that position nobody has a local plan that is actually probably gonna you know everybody has to review every five years so it's a continual process of renewal so even in terms of influencing local policy that's still the opportunity but it does go a bit beyond that doesn't it because actually planning policy is also how you implement it um, so I think there's something around sending the message to council officers and indeed to those developers who who are playing such an important role in bringing housing to local people, much needed housing, that we do expect this to work for our residents in these ways. And again, for me, it's not about threatening. It's about setting out a positive vision, which is why I'm such a strong supporter of the healthy homes approach I think it's about setting out what we want it's not about banging on about what we don't want that's great and uh, so for people who are uh, perhaps listening to this by the time you hear it hopefully there will be a model motion which uh, I, I shall get get Emily's motion and we'll have a look at producing something for for green councillors to take forward um, Dan you wanted to come in yeah I think the other thing uh, which the healthy homes principles and campaign provides at the local level is a starting point for action so very often um, councils can think 
they can be trapped sometimes in these silos where they, they think of an issue as being a planning issue or a housing issue. Um, at the national level, the idea of the principles is they cut across all of those different silos. So we're trying to create this outcome based on these principles. Uh, those principles need to be delivered by coordinating those different policy areas. So uh, at the national level, it would apply, the principles would apply to the Secretary of State and therefore, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, no, that's a housing issue. I can't work on that because I'm a planner, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what that means at the local level is it provides a starting point for thinking about producing good quality homes with every lever available to a local authority. So um, from January, we're starting a piece of work where we're looking with to, to work with local authorities who are interested in actually delivering the principles to think through the routes to implementation that they've got. Uh, we can we'll mention a little bit more later about how you can get involved with this. But the idea is you start with saying, here's our motion to council. We've adopted the principles. Um, We've got this massive hole in our local ability to control poor quality development called permitted development rights. But what else can we use to try and bring around that control? Can we creatively use licensing? Uh, Can we creatively use the health and safety rating system? And it enables that kind of thinking as well by having that stated ambition. And not you're not just limited to planning to be able to try and bring this change around. It's... um, I think it's quite a powerful way of thinking around problems and solutions. That's fantastic. And we are actually about to run out of time. So, so let's move into that, because I think that, that that business of, you know, how do we use the, the tools and levers that we currently have um, is, is so important for, for our councillors. So, yeah, do you just want to tell us a little bit about how you want to, how you're going to pursue that project? Well, uh, beginning in uh, January, uh, we're going to send out invites and, and open our doors for local authorities, but also communities. So this is councillors who uh, are interested in ensuring that their local authority does the best they can to promote what we see as the healthy homes principles. Uh, and they're looking to influence that process. I'm asking people to come to us and we will work with them to think through routes to implementation for the principles. So this might be through local plan policy. This might be through guidance. This might be through the health and safety rating system. And the idea is that we test those different routes. Uh, our outline plans for this is to, to run a series of focus groups of different locations over the course of uh, three or four months, develop a relationship around it, test different ideas, build capacity. I mean, part of the idea here is that we know local authorities are dangerously under-resourced, that they're struggling to often in many cases to deliver local plan policy, the new design codes, everything they need to do. And we, we want to support their work through this campaign. Uh, so if anyone's interested in getting involved with this, uh, if they just Google uh, TCPA Healthy Homes Act campaign, our details will be on the website there. And um, if you have people get in touch, we can we can see what we can do together. I mean, the real idea here is to is to get to a point in around sort of June where we've got greater awareness of the principles, but also we've worked out routes to implementation in different locations so we can make an actual tangible change on the ground. Jack, I don't know if there's anything you'd want to add add to that for the local campaign. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Um, so just to touch upon uh, the question, Julian, about, you know, for local authorities who, who say, didn't, weren't just uh, in the process of preparing their local plan, obviously, like, Emily said that is a this is continual process to develop plans, but um, yeah, with with this this uh, this project that we're looking to pursue in January, um, we would want to explore loads of different you know as many different ways as possible that local authorities could adopt the healthy homes principles and apply them to development. So 
that could be through the local plan. It could also be through um, the development of things, um, documents called supplementary planning documents, which is a way of um, elaborating on local plan policies which have already been adopted. Um, it could be through a local authority corporate strategy. Um, so there are a number of different ways that local authorities could potentially um, implement the local the healthy homes principles to and, and apply them to development um, through depending on where they are and, and what their circumstances are locally. Thanks. I think I think that's really helpful. I do, I do think that you know, as, as I said before, that, that I think I, we've got a job of work to do to find all the levers and and you know all the ways in which we can we can make things happen um, as long as we've, we're facing you know a government that isn't making it easy for us. Um, we, we've, we're out of time, so um, unless there's anything else pressing that uh, anybody wants to add. Um, Can I just pay yeah. tribute, Julian, to the um, fantastic campaigning work that the Town and Country Planning Association do? I just think the role that they have is so fantastic and they bring such, um, you know, it's so never been more important than now. And just, you know, really encourage people, if you're not familiar with the organisation, to look them up. There's some fantastic stuff around planning and climate change as well, which is absolutely key at the minute. So I just wanted to, to say how great they are, really. Thank you. Thanks for that. Daniel, hand is up. Did you want to add something else? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just suppose I wanted to um, point out something a bit historically interesting, a bit circular about this and, and how pressing it all feels. Um, the TCPA were founded about 125 years ago in response to the, the growth of Victorian slums, the idea that we could actually make the world better, nicer to live in, uh, and address the, the environmental um, concerns people had at the time about, about slum living, essentially. And um, the homes we're seeing being delivered through permitted development rights have been described as slums of the future. I and mean, that's literally what they are. So the, the time has came for us to do this again, to make these radical changes again. And it's sort of in our DNA as, or, as an organisation. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's significant and it feels timely as well. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody. Uh, that was great. OK, I'll, I'll stop recording. Um... And I think probably, I don't think my questions were sharp as I should have been. I'm a little bit, I'm full of cold. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> no, don't worry. But I think we got Sorry, what we so need. am I, I think. <laughs>